This episode is supported by Trustonomy, an original podcast from One Trust. Every good relationship you have, personal or business, it involves trust. But we all know that trust doesn't just happen, right? We've all lost trust in a friend or a brand or a product. Trustonomy is a new podcast that looks at true stories from the past to understand how trust works and what makes it stronger and how to rebuild it when it's broken. Now, you know, I'm a sucker for a good podcast that weaves historical stories and relates it to what's happening today. So I thoroughly enjoyed this Trustonomy episode and recommend that you check that out as well. Search for Trustonomy in your podcast player. We'll also include a link in the show notes. Many thanks to the One Trust team for their support. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. As artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. With over 750 specialized hackers in their community, HackerOne isn't just theorizing. They're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large organization, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security. Michael, what if I told you that on your next family road trip, you could be getting directions from Batman? Like the Batman? Yes, like Bruce Wayne himself, or you might know him as the Cape Crusader, the Dark Knight. Some call him Matches Malone, Lefty Knox, <laughs> even the world's greatest detective. Okay, well, um, yeah, that's the Batman I was thinking of. So you're saying that aside from fighting crime in Gotham City, Batman could be my backseat navigator oh that actually sounds like a good nickname the backseat navigator <laughs> i like that <laughs> 
but anyway, yes. In fact, Batman was my backseat navigator this past weekend when my family took a little drive to find this uh, place that we were going to go hiking at. All right, we're going to have to tell me a little bit more. <laughs> well, okay. I, and in all honesty, I will say this Batman Navigator actually came through Waze, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Yes, yes. Now it's making a lot more sense. I do use Waze all the time, actually. It's a fantastic navigation app. And yes, it's kind of a fun feature that Waze has, letting you use different celebrity voices to navigate, like, you know, in this case, Batman. Yeah, and you could also do the Riddler if you're, you know, more into bad guys. <laughs> and there's other celebrities like T-Pain, Kevin Hart, Arnold Schwarzenegger, even Cookie Monster. No kidding. So I take it today's product journey is about celebrity voices within Waze? Actually, no. No? Well, it's about Waze, sort of. It's actually about the latest release of Carpool, which is a standalone app that was developed by Waze. And Batman. Uh, I just got excited about being navigated by Batman this weekend and couldn't help but tell you all about it. Mike, Mike. All right, all right. Let's just cue the intro, please. <laughs> Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. So recently you caught up with Batman. Not this again. <laughs> okay, all right, okay. Not Batman, but at Waze, this person actually is probably more important than Batman. It's Rafa Cohen, and he's the chief product officer at Waze. He's responsible for all of the products and features that we see coming out of the navigation app, which I should note is now a part of Google. That's right, and Waze was acquired back in 2013 for nearly $1 billion by Google. Yes, but Waze still operates as its own independent entity, and Rafa Cohen, while his products are designed to take you on whatever journey you'd like, he's the architect of Waze's product journeys. I see what you did there, Mike. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm kind of proud of that one. Anyway, when, when I say Waze, you know, most people do think of that navigation app that we've been referencing, but in reality, there's actually a lot of other products that Waze offers. Um, here's Rafa speaking a bit to that. So we have our live map on the web. We have the editor that helps our community to keep our map up to date. Um, we have many tools for both internal and external users, uh, like SDK partners or partners from the public sector, municipalities, uh, and of course, Carpool now, uh, which is our big bet for the next uh, five years. And Carpool, this big bet that he references, this is what Rafa and I focused on in our conversation. This is the product journey that we're going to be covering today. Carpool happened to be the product that he was most focused on when he joined the company back in 2016. And what is Carpool exactly? Well, to some, this might sound like something like Uber or Lyft, but it's actually different. Okay, how so? Well, Carpool was designed for people to hitch a ride or give a ride to someone that might be going the same route as them. For instance, maybe you live in one part of a city and you commute to another part every morning. Well, maybe there's somebody right else near you who has that exact same commute schedule. You, you might be willing to give them a ride hmm. if that's the case and make a little money while you're at it. But if someone was looking for a ride to, say, the airport, which isn't a part of your commute, you probably wouldn't go out of your way to get that person to catch their flight. Yeah, you're still getting a ride from someone else in their own vehicle, but Carpool helps the driver and rider both take advantage of the common commute to offer a ride at a lower price. And 
I guess, less inconvenience, right, to the driver? That's exactly right. And and there are some other benefits too, um, some softer benefits, I guess we'll say, but we're going to get into that a little bit later. So Rafa Cohen, he helped launch this for Waze. Well, yes and no. Uh, he wasn't one of the original sort of creators of the app itself. He didn't create it, but he joined very early uh, before it saw any traction at all. And really, he was already thinking about the problem that Carpool's meant to solve even before he joined the company. From my perspective, it's interesting because I started thinking about it before I joined Waze. This is a problem I was absolutely passionate about. And uh, I tell this story often, but uh, back then I, was, uh, I used to live at, in, a, in a small town uh, 10 miles uh, out of Tel Aviv where our offices are based, uh, Google offices, before I joined Waze. And every day I would sit in traffic uh, miserably surrounded by people coming from the same place and going to the same place. And I was just amazed, just, you know, there's this wall of information between us. If only we could know who is going in my direction at the same time, we could be, you know, driving together, uh, have a good time and, you know, be part of the solution instead of being part of the problem. We could all be uh, better off by uh, driving together and instead of being, you know, 90 minutes on the road, being just 20 or 30 minutes. It is that extreme, right? This is exactly what it is. Just by, you know, having uh, getting rid of uh, half of the cars that we, uh, that, that we have on roads, we could be, you know, um, cruising on, 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 uh, on the road instead of uh, being miserable on them. So uh, it's, it's something I, I thought a lot about uh, before I joined Waze how to break this wall of information between people just to um, get to match between them. Actually, it's a matching problem. Um, and when I joined Waze and, and was given the opportunity to work on that problem, I was, I was absolutely thrilled. Now, Waze was in a unique place compared to other car sharing or carpooling apps. It wasn't some small startup. It was Waze, a service that's been serving millions and millions already with all of this data. And Waze was intending to use that data as a competitive advantage to launch this service. And you talked a bit about the premise. Yes, but I should probably let you hear more about the premise in Rafa's words. By leveraging our user base of hundreds of millions of, uh, of, of users, we could compensate for the low intent of driver and reach the same quality of service at as other ride-sharing company. What I mean by that is that Uber, for instance, in, a, in, a, in some city uh, may have a very small uh, community of drivers uh, or user base of drivers, but those drivers will, of course, take virtually any rides they're offered, right? In our case, of course, drivers won't do that because they, 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 there's a limit to the, the because the, those drivers are happening anyways, right? So on their way to work, they... Not all of them will take uh, riders with them. Not all of them will agree to make even small detours or to lose the flexibility of leaving their, uh, the, 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 leaving their house whenever they, uh, they, it's convenient for them. But we can compensate that by having 100 times more drivers than uh, Uber or Lyft and, and, and reach the same quality of service. Uh, that was the hypothesis. It didn't work very well at the time. The, the couple, the, the, uh, when I joined, we had, I think, eight completed days. On the, on, the, on the day I joined. Wait, did he just say eight days? That's right. Rafa joined when Carpool was Oof. eight days old. Yeah, so you said he joined pretty early, but I wasn't expecting that early, right? So what did Rafa learn about Carpool's first eight days? Well, we're going to get to that, but first, uh, let's just take a quick break and we're going to hear from some of our sponsors. Okay, so... Before we took our break, we met Rafa Cohen, a chief product officer at Waze, the navigation app that many of us use and love, uh, and the creator of other products like their Carpool app. So when Rafa joined again, Carpool was just eight days old. 
and that's right in the middle of a launch. Yeah, exactly. And Rafa recalled how they would conduct user research back then to see if the launch was actually headed in the right direction. And what did that user research look like? What methods were they using to collect this data? Well, probably the oldest form of customer research there is, a good old-fashioned phone call. Seriously? Yes, seriously. So we would call every user and ask them what went well, what went wrong, why didn't uh, take this ride or what they, uh, why they didn't. Uh, so that was fascinating times. I bet those were fascinating times, all right. How did those early phone calls go, though? Well, they were mixed. I mean, look, the initial carpool launch, it was a little bit all over the place. I mean, not everybody was giving positive feedback. There were some issues with the service functioning the way that it needed to, issues with the network itself, you know, not enough people offering rides. But... Even this negative feedback, which at sometimes was strong negative feedback, this was actually seen as a huge positive, and we're going to get to why a little bit later. It seems like the first iteration of the product was, you know, what you'd expect in, say, a minimum viable product. It worked, but it wasn't perfect. Is that fair? That's probably more than fair. Uh, here's Rafa again, actually quoting Reed Hoffman, who, of course, was the founder of LinkedIn, uh, and this quote is about product launches. To, to quote Reid Hoffman from uh, from LinkedIn back then, if you uh, are not embarrassed with the first ver version of your product, you launched too late. So we definitely didn't launch too late. We were very embarrassed by the uh, by the uh, by the first version of our product of Carpool 2.0. Um, but even with the uh, in unbelievable amount of bugs and and, and scale issues, and it, it was really a, a hectic, really really. Scrappy. Uh, did he say they were very scrappy or crappy? I I'm actually not sure. I think he said <laughs> scrappy, but to be honest, it was probably both, right? Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. So most early products are both scrappy and crappy. <laughs> it's to be expected. But this early product, it did see usage increase. I mean, there were more riders and more drivers. And as the usage increased, the feedback coming and as the usage increased, the feedback coming in started to scale up too. And that feedback was mostly positive, negative. Well, both. I mean, as I alluded to before, even negative feedback can be a good thing. I mean, negative feedback, if it's passionate negative feedback, could actually be a blessing. I mean, it could be a signal to a product person that the area of the product is actually important to the user. I mean, even if a part of an early product isn't hitting the mark, if users are just sort of apathetic about giving feedback, I mean... Does it even matter if you make a change? But if they're passionate, it really, really matters. Definitely, yeah. And it, it sounds like this passion, whether positive or negative, it was starting to come out in Carpool's early users, right? Exactly, yeah. And and by the way, I mean, most of this feedback was positive. But, but yes, the negative feedback that was coming in, people were passionate. They were really, really wanting to share this feedback. Um, here's Rafa talking about that a bit as well as how surprised they were by the rollout of Carpool's first iteration. I think nothing went at plans, literally nothing. Everything was a surprise. I think like the, the, the scale surprised us. Uh, the fact that our systems were not ready to handle uh, such, a, um, such a high amount of, uh, of users and of usage. Uh, we were surprised by the uh, good feedback, like people for whom it, it worked, uh, how it changed their lives. We didn't appreciate fully uh, before we launched how impactful this service could, could become. And we were very surprised also by how people were, the level of disappointment when it didn't work or when people couldn't find a match, couldn't find a driver, 
uh, how disappointed they were and, and, and um, how heated was the, the feedback was. So they're getting feedback in, passionate feedback. And what did they do with that feedback? Well, they knew they needed to do something, uh, but the problem <laughs> was it wasn't very clear what they needed to do. No, weren't those user interviews, the, the data analysis, it wasn't, wasn't helping to build out that roadmap? I mean, Waze is owned by Google. It's a very data-driven company. It definitely is. And yes, Waze was definitely interested in collecting data from its early users, but data can only go so far. Data can't really tell you what to do next. The problem with data, when you're data-driven, doesn't tell you anything about things that are not in the realm of the possibilities, right? Things that are not part of your uh, current product. So we interviewed users, but it, it doesn't tell you that much when, when you don't have an actual product to show, to show them. So it was a big bet. And what exactly was that big bet? Aha. Well, what Rafa was referring to is Carpool 2.0. We're going to hear more about that right after this quick break to hear from our sponsors. So before the break, we were learning about the product journey of Carpool, a ride-sharing app brought to life by the team at Waze. Rafa Cohen serves as the chief product officer at Waze, and he joined the company shortly after Carpool's launch. Eight days after its launch, to be specific. That's true, eight days. Um, anyway, Rafa and the team, they launched Carpool. They were starting to learn about what users wanted. Uh, they were starting to get some data coming in, but it wasn't exactly clear on what to do next. At least the data wasn't necessarily painting a clear picture on how they should iterate. But they did have an inkling of what to do. Yes, they could start to see what Carpool 2.0 should look like. Carpool 2.0 was based on the uh, hypothesis that at Waze we are uh, our DNA uh, and our vision is is with the community. It's a social uh, experience. Like people, our drivers, they're willing to do the right thing together, to help each other, uh, to get by. Our DNA is social. Our users are community members. Uh, and our product needed to reflect that. So we couldn't just afford to be a Uber or Lyft clone. We needed to be something else. So we took the whole carpool experience and um, turned it into a social experience, peer-to-peer -peer experience, okay? So instead of when you needed a ride, instead of pinging, you know, sending dispatches uh, like uh, to, to taxi drivers to 100 potential drivers, we would show you a list of people sharing your drive and you can you know, communicate with them and ask them, uh, drives from them differently. It was a big bet because, of course, connecting with one, two, or three drivers instead of a hundred, uh, we could, in theory, uh, negatively impact the quality of service. Waze, at its core, is a very social app. You know that there's a police officer coming up, for instance, because another Waze user fed information into the app. Uh, on your map when you're driving, you can see other Waze users, usually with a cartoonish kind of icon, maybe a ghost or, you know, something else, something like that. The team behind Carpool realized that Carpool 1.0, it wasn't as social as the DNA that makes up Waze. It was too transactional and transactional ride sharing. That's just like Uber or Lyft, right? But they didn't want to be that. No, they did not. And so that big bet that they were going to make was for Carpool to be more social. And what exactly does that look like, right? How can this ride-sharing app be more social? Well, let's hear it from Rafa. I think we uh, moved uh, from a uh, route-centric uh, product to a people-centric product. Um, that's, the, that's the main insight. We talked much less about where are you going to, where are you coming from, and at what time, and much more about who are you going to drive with. 
how to uh, foster trust on the platform, how are you going to feel comfortable with, uh, with the people you're going to drive with, what is going to be uh, the social experience when we meet, you meet the person at the pickup point. We really uh, wanted to polish this experience. Uh, I, I'm not claiming that we were always successful in doing that, but that was definitely, um, the, the focus shifted. Uh, and when you look at the actual screens, you can feel the difference. You can, you can see that, you can see people's faces and where they work maybe, and you know their ratings. It tells very little about the uh, route itself and the detour and how much you're going to, uh, how, how much time it's going to take you to get to the pickup point, et cetera, et cetera. Those become uh, very secondary. And the hypothesis is that when you know someone well and you become acquainted and even become friends at the end of the day, um, you are willing to make things you wouldn't do for a stranger, like making a small detour uh, of five minutes or wake, waiting for them at the pickup point because they were delayed because they had to uh, you know, uh, um, uh, drop their kids at school or something like that. So a social ride sharing experience is less about the route and more about the person driving that route. Exactly. It's less about finding a ride and more about finding a friend. Finding a friend. I, I like that. So where does carpool stand today? Well, Carpool was experiencing great growth until, you know, the whole COVID-19 thing. It put a little damper on things. That's 2020 for you. (laughs) Totally. But it's not going to stop the team at Waze and Carpool. They're going to continue iterating. They're going to continue to build up their base of users and keep building on their social take on ride sharing. And hey, if any of you out there decide to use Carpool, who knows? Maybe you'll make a new friend. Maybe Batman. Again with the Batman. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM now has a premium ad-free feed. All you have to do is go to glow.fm forward slash Rocketship and subscribe. It helps support the show and it gives you an ad-free experience. You actually get an exclusive feed that you can listen to on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, and Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective, which is a community for software product people. Product Collective is also the home of industry, the product conference, industry virtual workshops, and one of the largest Slack groups for product people anywhere. And we're also on the Podglomerate Network, so a huge thanks to Podglomerate. You can listen to all the Podglomerate shows at thepodglomerate.com. We'll see you here next week on rocketship.fm.